Hello, friends. This is Kirk Henderson. I'm coming to you at 12.30 Central Time on Friday afternoon. The Mavericks play the Knicks a little later tonight, but I've been trying to do a regular weekday locker room at least once, right smack in the middle of the day, and plus, who wants to work on a Friday? Um, Coming to you with two pieces that I've read earlier in the week, and I'd I'd like to talk about myself, and I'd like to kind of talk about um, with you all if you would like to, to, you know, issue comments or ask questions, but as always, if you want to talk about something different, please, let's do. This is a, a group hangout. It, it, you know, I, I do share this as a podcast, but this is much more about you know, community interaction than whatever it is that I want to talk about. So earlier in the week, let's see here. It looks like on Wednesday, Tim McMahon posted what I thought was one of the cooler story ideas that I've seen this year. Um, more and more when it comes to uh, basketball articles that I find myself trending towards, it's a lot of like stat-based stuff, even though I'm not really an advanced stats guy. Uh, this was just a flat-out, who can I get in touch with story, and who can I ask this question to? And the question was, how do you defend Luka Doncic? What is the blueprint? And McMahon went out and got extensive quotes from three of the best defenders of the last generation. Um, one of them, Tony Allen. One of them is Bruce Bowen, which I would debate whether he is actually the a, a solid defender or just a dirty, nasty cheater. And then Ron Artest. If uh, somebody wouldn't mind finding the article, I can probably go out and uh, try to po- post it in the in the chat here. But it's really, really quite a special story in terms of uh, uh, both listening to these guys um, who have you know who are just such like all time guys. And how they how they um, would consider defending Luca, and you know just just to kind of read you some of the read you some of the quotes. The most interesting one, kind of the guy who was the the most um, fascinating, was Tony Allen, who seemed to really relish the idea of talking about this. And he said, "You know what? I am I ain't giving up that step back three. And he talks about playing Luca's hand, uh, a left hand to where he would not let Luca initiate the step back three, essentially forcing Luca right, which I find to be very, very interesting because as we, uh, you know, if you watch Luca last season, less this season because of just, frankly, he's not moving as well and the Mavericks don't have a rim rolling guy. He isn't able to get to the rim like he used to. So forcing him to go right is, is, is something I don't really think I've seen an NBA team try yet. Uh, they mainly just try to stay in front of him since he can he can kind of punish you in a variety of ways. And by sitting on Luca's left hand, the assumption is that he's going to push Luca right and make him go take paint shots, which I just find that kind of nuts. I mean, this year, uh, prior to the story, Luca was shooting 37% on step back threes, which is is pretty bananas. Um, and that's just something that I found really uh just kind of a weird approach, but Tony Allen knows what he's doing in a way that I don't. So it's probably more of a team defensive concept where it's let's make this guy chew us up from the inside, which I don't know how well that's a good idea. Uh, but for Allen, you know, Allen's only six foot four, about 220 pounds and is, is, is not exactly tall or long enough to defend Luca, which is why he's, he's essentially saying, I'm going to, going to seed, seed some area. So I really recommend, reading, you know, at least his part. So then you get to, to Bruce Bowen and, and Bowen is just, I've never really thought of him as a great defender. Maybe that's my Mavs bias. I think that his defense uh, centered on how can he bend the rules to his will? Um, 
it, it's just one of the, you know, he, he talks about making Luca work, you know, just kind of beating him up, which that's kind of the most common approach that we've seen so far. Uh, the other night, uh, who was Dylan Brooks really rode Luca kind of from start to finish, uh, both from almost, you know, picking him up full court, making Luca exhausted is probably the best bet right now. Um, because he's not in great shape. Uh, it's, it's not that he's in bad shape. He's in significantly better shape than he was at any point, you know, in December and probably early January, but cardio for a lot of NBA players ends up being something that they have to focus on all the time. Uh, Joel Embiid is somebody who it took him years to get to where he is just cause he's a big guy. He liked living life and being in good cardio and staying in good cardio takes constant effort. Uh, oddly enough, as much as I don't like the comparison, I think James Harden is somebody to point to. Um, if if people remember the some of the defensive things that Harden was doing back in like the the early part of the decade, where he just didn't defend anybody because then he needed to save up. Now he's he's really. He, I mean, the guy plays tons of minutes, and is you don't really see him get too tired. It's it's pretty impressive. Um, but that you know, Bowen just talking about that about you know just kind of physically wearing him out was interesting. Then the third guy who, and probably would be the best person to defend Luca in an ideal format, uh, is Ron Artest, who, Ron Artest is just, he breaks the mold of what you think of when it comes to the defenders, because he's, you know, a bigger guy, uh, height-wise, but also heavy. Um, he played heavy, like, he, he talks about how he played at 250 to 260 pounds, and this doesn't get discussed much in season, but whatever a guy is listed at at the start of the year for the NBA, it's almost a surefire bet that he weighs less than that during the season. Keeping on muscle is extremely, extremely difficult. And one of those um, one of those things that, that doesn't get talked about because these guys are just burning calories all the time. So in order to, you know, when you burn calories, muscle, muscle will be one of the things that goes first so losing kind of that bulk weight goes away so the fact that uh, uh, Ron Artest was able to play that heavy and really the Luca's kind of able to play as a bigger guy is, is pretty impressive um Artest talks also about and, and one of the things that I really enjoy was talking about how uh NBA players don't set good screens and it really struck me that that seems to be one of these areas um that the Mavericks should work on like team wise, you know, KP slips everything and Luca tends to not use the angles correctly. The only guy who he uses screens well, and I think it's because of just how big he is, is Boban. And, you know, the way he dances off of Boban screens is completely different than what he does off of like KP or Powell. And that'd be like just an area that I think is interesting. Um, and, and when you, our test talks about punishing the screener, which makes one of these guys, uh, not want to screen later on. So it's just it's really fun watching him, uh, uh, reading about him wanting to do that. And, you know, just, just while we're here, um, before I move on to kind of the next post, I was wondering if anybody had any thoughts like, like about either this article or is there anybody that you really think defends Luca really well? Like Xavier, what's happening? Hey, what's up, Kurt? So in terms of Tony Allen's approach about forcing him to go right, I think that 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 article assumes that Luca is primarily a scorer, and so probably what he would try to do is force Luca into some help. And most most 
most people aren't able to score in the paint the way Luca does, even though he's not the most athletic. Um, he's just able to, you know, his shooting percentage um, near the rim is, is pretty good. So if you're going to force him to go right and get him into the T for the defense, I feel like his ability to really create and pass to open shooters is going to render that method useless pretty quickly. Um, it, you're not looking at a DeMar DeRozan type or somebody who's primarily looking to just score. When you can distribute the ball as well as Luca, I don't think there's any way that you can kind of, you know, there's any way on the floor where he can't, play make from so that part of it i don't get um i do agree that making him tired or you know picking him up um the whole you know the whole court and testing his um his his stamina that's probably the best shot that you have now but if he ever gets into peak physical condition honestly at that point you're just praying he misses because i really don't see any physical prototype that's really going to be able to trouble him or keep him out of the pain or keep it from going to where he wants so but yeah that's that was just my thought on of it i think you're right about this because when I, I'm, I'm rereading aspects of this while you were talking and they don't really get into luca as playmaker and how you defend that at all I, the idea just probably has to be, okay, you're taking away his scoring, what are you going to make him do? And the uh, part of me thinks that when it comes to to how Luca's looked at just because of how prolific his scoring can be, the passing at this point has become underrated because he's passing to dudes who don't hit shots. Um, we've watched that the past three or four games where it's like Luca is serving up shots and nobody is hitting. So it, it, even though his assist totals are pretty nice, like the the – the only time you're really seeing his playmaking come in is when uh, uh, he's doing something kind of ridiculous. Like there was a kick out. He drove left against the Grizzlies and flipped one over his head again to Maxi Kleba, who then like rotated it. So it didn't make any highlight reels, but it was one of these things where you're watching in the game and you're like, did he, did, did the, did the Grizzlies just block the ball to, to, to Max? Oh no, no. Luca did that on purpose. And so that sort of aspect of his game is is to date, I feel sort of underrated, and it makes me you know wonder what happens where if they're able to increase the volume of talent around him if he just you know things inch up a little bit. Like they're already so good on offense, so I, I think that's a really insightful point because it, one, it, I, one more point. So I think the I think the and especially we're probably going to see this in the playoffs. I don't think that in terms of anywhere, you know, anywhere in the pain or, or in the restricted area. There's nothing you can do. I think what teams are going to try and do is to, as soon as he crosses half court, they're just going to blitz him and double team and force him to get the ball out of his hands. At that point, if you attack him as soon as he crosses half court, it's going to make it hard for him to really have many assist opportunities. And essentially what's going to happen is you're then going to be playing four on three offense. The question is, who do we have on a team that can attack a four on three situation and either A, create his own shot or B, be smart enough to make the right decision with the ball every time when they have that advantage. And they have to be athletic enough to do that before the, the defense rotates again. So right now, Maybe Jalen Brunson, you feel comfortable with him, you know, in a four and three situation. But other than that, anytime Timmy or Dorian dribbles more than once or twice, I fear for my life. We don't <laughs> making big men who can attack that pretty, especially the role that Draymond Green um, played yes. in the state offense, where he's just if you have Draymond three attacking a four and three, he's going to make the right play. And even if he's not the one scoring, he's going to be able to find the person that's open and deliver the pass on time so that they can get that shot open before the defense 
just to get. Well, but I think we've. Go ahead. No, no, that's it. One thing we've not seen near enough of that that I know my my co-host uh, Josh Bow talks about is he really wants to see Luca as the screener more often in the Mavs offense because you're then putting him in that Draymond Green position if he gets the ball in the roll or short roll or anything where he can make a decision with a smaller court in front of him. And Dallas just doesn't do that sort of stuff very much. You know, he and Brunson will sometimes do it. There have been some really cool plays, but Brunson – when 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 Brunson gets it, I mean the man just looks to shoot, and I'm fine with that because it works. But what happens if you have anyone else that can kind of play make and handle the ball a little more there, and and do so, you know because defenses figure this sort of stuff out. You know we've uh, at Mavs Moneyball, our our man is talk Franco posted that ridiculously long 2,500 word piece about the Mavericks offense, and it talks about how the the coaching philosophy is to not really be scoutable. Like you can look at tendencies, but they're not running plays. And and it just I can't help but wonder if if Rick Carlisle is doing the thing that I know um, I'm a big Kansas City Chiefs fan and Andy Reid does this where he just doesn't call plays that he wants to use down the road because he doesn't want tape for it and and I just can't help but think that the Mavericks do some of that because Rick Carlisle always is wild in the playoffs like he's just a good he, he's a much better playoff coach than he is regular season coach and you know what we care about is the playoffs so okay. well thank you for coming up I appreciate it. You there? We're losing. Yeah, I'm here. Okay. Thanks, Kurt. Yep, have a good day. All right, does anybody else want to come up and uh, and, and chat for a minute? You know, um, Brian in the chat notes that the guys that pick him up full court really seem to bother him. Bridges, uh, Miles Bridges is um, – is it Miles? Which bridge? The Phoenix Bridges. Mikhail Bridges um, really bothers him. Ben Simmons does too, and then uh, White on the, on the Spurs does as well. And – it's just it's a good strategy. The the doubling thing I think is is really is really worth um, trying to figure out what the Mavericks are going to do over time um, because it's it's just sort of it's going to become a thing I think good teams will do. Like the Clippers didn't do it near enough because they they sort of bet that the Mavericks were going to beat um, we're going to beat them by themselves and that isn't ended up uh, you know what happened here. Uh, because Lucas scored, I think Lucas scored 90% of his points in the playoffs off uh, unassisted, which is just bananas. So those sorts of things um, are, are pretty crazy to me. So, okay, well, that's, you know, one article that I wanted to to go through. And then the next one was by my friend Jared Dubin at 538. Um, and he writes a lot. I mean, this is like kind of the direct opposite where, you know, the first article gets lots of quotes from people. This is really a data-heavy article where it's talking about Porzingis' usage. And, it, you know, without just, like, reading it verbatim, he gets into how things have changed over the last month and a half, maybe six weeks or so, and really how the when the Mavericks changed their rotation uh, with KP go, or with Luka going out early and then coming back in uh, in the first quarter, it changed a lot of how the offense went. And so that... I think was at least um, really interesting because the offense really starts to tick up. Um, let me see here. Where was the thing? And he gets, you know, there were, there were uh, some quotes from Porzingis over the last several months where he says, I think uh, playing longer stretches gives me um, time to get into a better rhythm and get better looks and not rush things. Whereas I tend to, which I tend to do a lot now that I'm playing shorter minutes. He said after, I can't remember which game this was. 
Um, after he made that quote, and I remember we were all kind of in our feelings at the time um, about kind of those quotes just because it was a thing, and I was particularly. But it seems to actually, you know, have, have made a little bit of a difference because they started flipping minutes. Um, and that that has been very helpful for, for Porzingis to get into more of a rhythm, which, you know, sometimes I feel um, – Sometimes I feel that <clears throat> my minutes, is the chat working at all? Hmm. Yeah. Okay. My bad guys. I apologize. That was a disaster. Um, anyways, this hasn't happened to me before. I've done like 40 of these anyways. So, you know, you're, you're looking at this article. Um, since the Mavericks made the switch, Dallas has gone 21 and 11 overall. And then 16 and 7. And that's, this is basically the rotation change. Um, part of that has to be with the fact that KP is simply, you know, playing better. I've talked at length about how uh, the Portland game was kind of the, the line in the sand where he was just looking so awful defensively. And the Mavericks sat him for a few games because he had the knee strain. And then there was all-star break and stuff like that. And so he's, he's really just looked better. Um, really just looked better since coming back. And, you know, one thing that, that, you know, gets into is that Porzingis is actually posting up much better this year in terms of a points per possession type thing. He's not elite by any level, but last year he was kind of a disaster. And this year he, he's just, you know, doing better, uh, at least passable, despite the fact how much I, you know, will complain about gunking up the offense. And then, you know, it's really helping Doncic in a real way. Um, according to, to Jared, Doncic pick and rolls with non-Porzingis screeners have generated 1.28 points per possession this season with Porzingis on the floor. And so when Porzingis is off the floor, that drops to 1.16. Like, that's significant. Porzingis being on the floor stretches things for Luka in a really massive way. And it's it's one of these, these things where, at least with, you know, according to Jared, who is a big-time Knicks fan, thinks that there's a lot of what he describes as meat left on the bone. Um... I pointed him, Jared, because I, I talked to Jared in a different Slack. I pointed him to to just some of the free throw numbers because it's something I've been wondering about. And he concurs with me writing that that when it comes to things that, that Porzingis could get more out of his game from. This is not a criticism. It is a, it is a thought about how to improve uh, uh, how he's on the floor and his really his efficiency. Um, his free throw rate is sitting at a career low point. 194. Now what that means is number of free throws attempted for number compared to number of uh, field goals attempted. So he takes one free throw for every five field goal attempts, basically. I think that's math. It's under that actually. It's kind of a mess. But according to you know basketball reference, it's a figure that's so low it ranks 744 out of 813 seasons for seven footers who have played at least a thousand minutes in a given year. So basically if he gets to the free throw line, even, you know, he's shooting like 3.2 a game. If he gets to the free throw line five times a game on similar, um, similar number of field goals, it is something that would, you know, for a guy who shoots 80% of the, at the line, it's going to open up aspects of the offense. A lot of people, and, and I see this in, in Mavs Moneyball, um, comments in the game. It's like people kind of hand wave at, at aspects of, you know, what it means over the course of a game just to get like one more of something. 
And getting to the line, you know, causes a cascade effect in a defense. They, it forces them to play differently. It's no different than when Porzingis hits that early three-pointer. It tends to make the defense freak out. Um, he's been, you know, just really – he's been really good on offense. Uh, the defense stuff is is kind of a different deal where the, the paint – he's getting – the Mavericks and Porzingis are just getting kind of wrecked uh, both in the paint and, and from three-point. It's – him as a defensive force has not kicked into the defense for their season wide numbers. Now I do know that, that, you know, their defensive rating has gone up the last, what do you want to say? Probably 20 games or so, but that's also an aspect of them playing, um, them playing such uh, challenging or like frankly weaker opponents. So that's up there. All right. Uh, Xavier has to come back up. Hello. Xavier, you're there. You're on mute. Oh, sorry about that. Yeah, no, so no I, I just want to comment on at least something, you know, from the untrained eye and what I see. I feel as though his offense um, can improve if he can, if we can play him at the five, right? right. I think Porzingis is at a dangerous when he can, when he can run the pick and roll with Luca, and he not only shows the threat of rim running, but also he can pop out, take the three. I feel like whenever he's forced to play the four because defensively he can't protect the rim and we have Willie Cauley-Stein or someone else out there to protect the rim, essentially it just turns KP into a spot-up shooter. And he, we're not going to take the next level as a team if all KP is is just a glorified spot-up shooter. He needs to be involved in the pick and roll because that's where he's going to be able to create the most spacing. If he's just in the corner or if he's just hanging out on the wing as a spot-up shooter, then the other team can afford to put a smaller person on him because they're only gotten the three-point line he's dangerous when he's forcing the other team to have to put their big man on him and then incorporate the team's five into that pick and roll action and that's really where our offense is going to hum but that's all predicated on whether or not defensively we can afford to have him out there as our five and as our rim protector but i just wanted your thoughts on that well the so the floor spacing stuff seems to be like so, fifty thousand foot view of the office. Him just standing there is extremely important for the Mavericks. Him like being on the floor, period, doing something improves their offense. It is their the numbers back all of it up across the board. Him being in the pick and roll is something that I've really wondered why they didn't do more of. Part of it has to be um, health concerns because him going downhill, I think, sort of concerns the Mavs because he he doesn't have great biomechanics you know there's like like you know how, how Lucas seems to get like hit knee to knee every other game like that sort of stuff for Porzingis has to freak them out but the it was the game after he had sort of compared complained about his fourth quarter touches where he was getting some really good uh drives um where he was getting some really good drives and, and I would and, and then looks closer to the basket I would like to see them do that more, but it goes back to kind of my point in, in before I had to, you know, open and start the, the pod, the, the locker room again about, I don't know how much Carlisle wants them doing it because it seems like something they can get at will. And if they get something, if they get more and more tape, then there's going to be more and more tendencies. I will say I want, this is crazy sounding coming from me, but I want Porzingis to put the ball on the floor more. Um, there were three instances the other night he didn't get fouled in any of them, but he actually drove left with a purpose. He had one really awesome dunk from the wing. I mean, he's a, he's a skilled ball handler. You know, we were talking about what happens. Uh, you had mentioned it kind of terrifies you when, like, half the Mavericks dribble. I'm in the same boat. 
KP kind of can fall under that, but that's only because he's tall, not because I'm like worried about what's going to happen. I think he's just a bit of a robot where because he's right-handed, he's been so primed to want to go left because it's like, oh, people are going to shade my right hand. People shade his left hand. The guy dribbles into traffic more than anyone from the perimeter, like in just these odd spots. But when he goes right, he's, he's much, he gets further with the ball because it's his dominant hand. And defenses just don't know what to do with him because, it, you know, he's, he's like, you know, he's, he's taller than, than Giannis. The man takes a dribble and a half and he's at the rim if there's, if there's no contestation. So I would really like to see more of him on the move, period. Because when he's on the move, the defenses don't know what to do. He's skilled. He's smart. There's a lot of good that can happen. But I just can't help but think that they've got to be worried about injury-based concerns. So... Um, and Lucas Noitz and knows just not when he posts and starts dribbling, that's when he gets stripped. Yeah. The, the post-up stuff, um, is, is really, is really amusing. Uh, it's something that I don't know to, uh, uh, what to do with. I will, I do want to note that you, you talked about how defenses are guarding him with a wing every now and again. And that seems to be the, uh, the gamble. We, we actually wrote about this today on madsmoneyball.com. Our guy, Ben wrote the, uh, this article about the subtle, ways opponents try to limit the Dallas offense. And for the last several games, it's been very stark with Maxi being back where you see that they're just teams are just willing to put a wing on, on, on Porzingis and dare him to win. And that's, that just sort of stands out for me. So, all right. Uh, we've got a couple more people wanting to come up, but uh, do you have anything else for me, Xavier? No, just put, just wanted to chime in on that. That's a good. It's a good point. Thank you for coming up again. You're helping me carry the pod. I appreciate it. <laughs> All right, coming up next, I've got uh, Dalton Trigg, who I know is at work and is probably stealing minutes. Dalton, what's happening? What's up, man? How you doing? Oh, I'm good. I had my first technical difficulty with this, which you know, uh, you know, but it's it was my fault. <laughs> user error. Welcome, welcome to my world. We've uh, we've had some trouble, especially when we try to do it from our laptops. It's uh, it's really giving us some trouble there. But uh, how are we feeling, Kirk? How, I mean, I just I just tuned in, so I'm not sure what you talked about in the first ten minutes here. But uh, how are you still are you still riding a high from that uh, crazy Luca buzzer beater? I really am. And in the first part of the podcast, what we actually talked about were two different articles that uh, that that McMahon article about how like past generation defenders say they would guard Luca. And then the 538 article about KP's offense were kind of things we were talking, we were just kind of talking about because it's so easy to just sit there and stare in awe of, of what Luca did the other night. And also I really am not in the mindset yet. Um, I don't want to talk about some of the things that came up in the Memphis game that are concerning. I just want to kind of be in a good mood. Um, and I have been in a good mood. I watched all the, uh, I, I think I've consumed every different possible video compilation people have put together of that <laughs> Lucas shot. Like, well, we, well, you know, you and I and, and different people were are often very critical of the Mavericks for various reasons. One thing I think we need to point out is how absolutely kick-ass their video team has been this year and their social team. Oh man, Some of the they're stuff awful. they're doing is like, oh, I mean, I just like, yeah. I go to their Instagram page, like specifically their page. I don't look in the feed. Like they're just doing good stuff. And I think they need to be, you know, called out for that. As Tyler, uh, yeah, Tyler Adams notes in, in the, in the chat, is it, is Jonathan Lim and Chopper? So anyhow, um, yeah. yeah. So, so just, just kind of in a pleasant Friday mood. Yeah. Same here. Oh, I'll, I'll, I want to just note that, uh, uh, 
Xavier in the chat here said that he owes me an apology. Uh, he said he was uh, physically angry when I wrote that Zach Levine uh, pipe dream trade deal like over a year ago. And it says, turns out <laughs> improvements <laughs> to his game. I would kill to have him on the team right now. So thank you, Xavier. I, I'm glad you've come around to that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. Tyler, what's up? Man? Hey, how's it going? I'm like Dalton stealing time good. at work. I was going to ask you, what do you think Luka Doncic has to do in the last few weeks of the season to interject himself in the MVP race and cause Brian Windhorst to have another meltdown? God, okay, <laughs> great. Thank you for bringing this up. I, I hope everyone went and listened to this podcast. So I had lots of people message me today, and they're like, why are you – like, why, why would I want to listen to Brian Windhorst? And the reason you want to listen to Brian Windhorst is because – Tim Bontemps bodies him into another dimension on this MVP discussion where I'm trying to understand where Windhorse was coming from because if you're un, if you're a little confused, um, t- Tim Bontemps does a straw poll of MVP ballots and basically is like, who is on your top five? And then is, essentially reconstructs what the MVP would look like if it were voted on today. Jokic ran away with it. Windhorse was baffled. And continued to be baffled for almost 30 minutes of conversation where they're sitting here saying like, man, he hasn't played enough. And Windhorse just didn't care. But to, to answer your question, I really think, um, I really think that if they get on a, a honest to goodness win streak, which five has been their cap this year, they've had three, four game win streaks, I think, and one five game win streak. They need to be that kind of momentum shifting thing. And I just don't know if they can do that. I'm at this point, I've kind of turned my attention to where I think Luca is going to end up on the all NBA teams. Cause he will make one again, but it's a matter of, of which one. And I don't think, I think first is sort of out of, out of, out of place at this point. I think it's going to be Steph and Dame. And I don't, and think, so. You I don't think, think so. I think it depends on where the Mavs eventually end up in the standings. I think, if the Mavs end up ahead of the Blazers, they'll give uh, Luca the nod because the, I mean the stats are so close. Uh, other than rebounding uh, for Luca and Dame, I just feel like you know where the teams end up in the final standings that'll determine who gets that that first team nod. Because uh, I mean the Bla- Dame's been incredible this year, especially in clutch situations. But uh, you know you and I talked about it the other day, Kurt. It just feels like they're wearing down now towards the end of the season, and their their schedule is just brutal. And I think it's very, very possible that the Mavs end up higher than them in the standings. And if that's the case, I think Luke will get first team again. That's interesting. I just sort of feel like the narrative's written because, you know, and Tyler, please comment on this. Dame just seems to be the dude that every NBA media person loves unrequitedly. There's just so much... Oh, Dame. What about Dame? And it's like, okay, guys, we get it. Yeah, no, you're correct. Um, I was going to say, I think the Mavs do have really good line of sight to pass the Blazers because, A, the Mavs' schedule is really easy comparatively to the Blazers for the rest of the season. And also, Blazers' Twitter is melting down because I've seen some pages suggest to Ben C.J. McCollum. So um, I can't say I've watched the, the like the last like five to six Blazers games like very closely. Like I've only caught like a few, but to suggest sitting him in favor of somebody else is the indication of a meltdown. Oh, so. and then poor, poor CJ McCollum's brother, like walked into <laughs> yeah. a door, walked into a door frame because he didn't know how defensive rating worked though. To be fair, 
it your number should like a higher number in every other statistical category is a good thing except for defensive rating but that that's just this is so odd. I, I think that they're going to pass the Blazers too, but I just hadn't really given consideration to the fact that that would make Luca higher up because there's just just this constant notion like Dame is always fighting windmills. And, you know, like think about it, it feels like forever ago at this point, but think about when Luca was announced as the all star starter. Like how, you know, Dame was, even Dame was whining about it to a degree. So it's, I don't know, that just feels like sort of a narrative thing that's stuck in my head. But in the end, it, it like somebody asked in the chat, uh, does it have any contractual implications? Because he's already made all first team once, uh, his his Rose Rule extension is 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 not, like, that's a thing. And he's been an all-star starter twice. Like, the man is, is creating new levels of, oh, shit, the Mavs are going to pay him a bajillion dollars. Um uh, Bob Sturm said this morning, he's like, oh yeah, he's, he's getting offered five, five years, 200 and $200 dollars, like extension when it's not even like five years. It's just on top of the initial thing, but Luca's going to make a ton of money because Luca's very good at basketball, but I just kind of think it's fun to talk about in relation to where he is because he's just, so, he's firmly entrenched in the top 10 at this point. Yeah. I would say, I would Kurt, say top five, no. but my bias might be coming out. <laughs> yeah. Kurt, let me ask and you may have talked about it in the first 10 minutes. I, I don't know. I, I, I got in here a little bit late. But, you know, we were talking about the Mavs, and it, it's really likely based on both teams' schedules that they can pass the Blazers in the standings. But, you know, we've seen that the Mavs, they play down. Their- I was knocking on wood day. because you said that out loud. I cannot. Okay, go ahead, though. Yeah. <laughs> and I was talking about this on Twitter earlier. Can we all agree that at this point, the best case scenario for the Mavs in the playoffs is to potentially climb to the fifth seed past the Blazers and the Lakers and end up playing a Jamal Murrayless Nuggets in the first round. That's a fun one. I'm because, not sure look, because. Go ahead. Yeah, because look, their their front court is going to be a nightmare to try and defend, but. When you have Jamal Murray out, I feel like the Mavs would just dominate the guard play in that series, and they'd be able to get whatever they want offensively. So, uh, and then somebody pointed out to me earlier today too that I think it was uh, I think it was Istok, your guy Istok on Mass Moneyball. He pointed out that you know there's a lot of action between Jokic and and Murray uh, that that has a lot of success on offense, and that's not going to be there anymore. So. I just I feel like overall that that would be a best case scenario for the Mavs uh, first round series that they could you know get out of this year. So, well, I do think their their you know their their newest addition, um, Aaron Gordon, is is a kind of prototypical guy to guard Luca well, uh, and I don't think they had that before. You know, they just have such length, so there's some some optionality there. I see what you're saying. At minimum, I think it would be really fun like that's a series i would really want to watch there's aspects of of playing like playing the clippers again just gives me angst it it, you know i'm gonna watch whoever they play playing the lakers is like the sum of all fears for me because i went to college in southern california and like no way too many lakers people so just doing that again like 2011 was just was the 2011 semifinals were, were one of the best like weeks of my life but there wasn't, I wasn't really on Twitter yet, so I couldn't, you know, make fun of all my friends. But it's, it's there's just a lot of things where I'd, I'd be kind of curious. I mean, the fact that, that this has occurred really makes the entire, I, 
one th- basically kind of two through 12 in the West. Really, really interesting to see. I don't want to play the Suns. That's one team I don't want to play. How's Absolutely. that for like, they, they terrify me. I, I'm just going to say that out loud. This is a, this is a safe space. Um, but then there was a, there was a, a comment in the chat and I think Christian's probably waiting to just say this cause he's up here. Um, Christian, I'm going to bring Christian up on stage. Christian, I want you to, to, to repeat what you, what you said a little bit ago about the schedule. Yeah, so I was saying that I almost wish that we had a tougher schedule just because we always play down to our opponents. And I think especially like my biggest fear would be winning like two in a row and doing it kind of easily. Like, you know, let's say we get 10, 14 point wins. I could see them going into kind of coast mode and then they get a loss and then, you know, things start uh getting tougher from there um so uh, you know again it's not like full but i i do have that worry because we seem at least lately to play up to our well and this this is a great question and a great point and something i have big picture turned my brain off to because the dallas mavericks of history play down to their opponent a team rolling into the playoffs team x rolling into the playoffs with, like, a nine-game win streak. Now, that interests me, because if there's one thing these Mavericks do well, and poorly, this, this, this cuts both ways, is that when things are going well, the vibes are immaculate. When things are going poorly, things look real bad. And now I know some of that may be a little bit of social media projection from the way um, those of us in, in, uh, what was the, the term earlier today, Dalton, uh, extremely like, like constant negativity, Twitter, whatever that was, um, go, yeah, I don't with... know what that was all about. That's <laughs> uh, okay. No, but it's, it's like the moment to moment people who, and it's, it's a real thing. Cause I get like this. And, and so do lots of people where it's like the sky is falling when, when the Mavs have a bad quarter, like that's a, a true thing. So I don't know how much of this is that, but when the Mavs are playing poorly, they don't seem to play poorly for a quarter, they seem to play poorly for like three or four games in a row. And there was that stretch where it was, I want to say Denver, Denver, Clippers, Clippers earlier. And then there's like Suns on the book. It like where the Mavs lost five straight. And I was like, Oh no, what is happening? Uh, no, they didn't lose five straight. They want, they split and every, and I mean, I'm getting my schedule all mixed up. It was a pair of Portland games and a pair of Denver games. That's what it was. And the Mavs split those, and everybody was really excited because it was two, you know, kind of, kind of four tough games where they they did reasonably well against teams that were kind of considered better. So I, I see your argument for it, but I would just really love to see these guys get on a streak and start to feel unbeatable. Because if they don't have the veteran presence, which I really don't think they do, to kind of act as a stabilizing factor, if we consider them like you know sports manic, I would like to see them on a roll and just feeling unbeatable. Because that, like, that Lucas shot gave, you know, I don't know about you, but, like, I went from being, like, you know, they, they would have lost three out of four to being, like, yeah, now we're on to something. You know, it's just, it's like that kind of turn of momentum is really what I'm thinking about at the moment. Yeah. I, after that happened, I was, uh, one of the first things I thought about is, like, you know what? Stuff like that can really change momentum. And mm-hmm. I, I really do. And I might be wrong. It might not happen tonight. But I really feel... Like, uh, you know, we'll get a much more well-rounded effort from the Mavs tonight because it was it just felt like one of those deals. And I think the team knew it, too. They knew that they got away with one. You know, they yep. should have lost 
they should have lost that game. They got extremely fortunate uh, to to steal that one, and I, I feel like we'll have a a heightened heightened sense of urgency tonight. I think they'll play a, a more well rounded game. We'll see how it goes. Well, the Knicks are such a physical team um, that that sort of happens. I think that might happen as a byproduct. Like one of my favorite bits of of watching NBA players try to get in Luca's head with physicality. And it just it it can work for stretches. It can work for up quarters. It can work for halves. I have yet to see Luca get taken out of an entire game because of physicality. Something always turns for him where he sees the shot go down. He does something ridiculous. He like there was that 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 Istok posted it, but it was like that one on four three point shot that he took out of a spin against Memphis, where I didn't even remember the play because I just must have been like mad, you know. The guy is just—he's unbreakable in, in sort of a mental sense, and and I—I I don't know—I'm looking forward to, to tonight's game, even though I—I uh, I, I must have jinxed everybody because I remember uh, uh, right after All Star break there was like seven late games in a row, and they got through with that, and I'm like, yay, no more late games, and of course they're playing late games, um, which I am too old for these. So, <laughs> I, the one thing I wanted to say was. Um, you know, I to your point of no real veteran presence in that kind of sense, or at least like a dog mentality veteran presence. Uh, I think JJ is going to be largely beneficial because you can even, you know, the one thing I noticed is he really worked his ass off when he is there on the court. You know, he was uh, running all over the court trying to get open, setting screens, pushing on the defensive end, but. You know, uh, earlier, you know, everyone still uh, got KP and Luca in the microscope. But, you know, then people were taking sides. But I kind of blame both of them. You know, there was plenty of times where it's like it was an obvious pass to KP and he doesn't do it. But at the same time, I'm not going to take KP's side because stop bitching. Go get (laughs) rebounds. Go get, you know, show that energy. Play hard defense. And if you look at these games, particularly uh, the Spurs game and the game, I believe, shortly before that, you know, he's busted his ass on the defensive end. He's getting rebounds. He's getting those offensive rebounds. And Luka's starting to really, uh, you know, take notice and try to find him. And that's what I always said was my biggest worry is because them working together and reaching their ceiling is the ceiling of this team. And sure, it's good sure, to see sure. lately that's been happening. And, uh, you know, hopefully J.J. could be somewhat of that veteran presence and his shooting will be important. Well, I, I'm pretty frustrated with how KP has been – not KP. Uh, J.J. Redick has been used so far. He's not gotten a lot of time with the two best players. Like, he and, and, and Porzingis can do some dribble handoff stuff that should be devastating, and we've not seen any of it. He's been on the floor with with noted non-passers Jalen Brunson and Tim Hardaway, and you know there are there has been some Luca stuff, but it's like uh, Redick had a whopping four turnovers last game. He was kind of sloppy. Um, it, he had some threes, but it just it kind of like ended up being kind of a net net neutral thing. So I'm just interested to see him getting used in 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 sort of in more spots. But the the you know we've talked about this repeatedly. As critical as I am of KP from a broad strokes point of view, at times. I still don't understand how the rest of the Mavericks don't pass to him. I mean, look at, you know, 
we were talking earlier about uh, Luca's um, rotations and when he goes in and out, and, and that seems to, you know, KP's playing longer, and he also gets to kind of be the guy on the floor for a certain point at the first quarter where he's the sensibly the, the offensive funnel. There are times when, you know, in that, like, latter, you know, basically from, like, seven minutes in the first quarter to, like, two minutes in the first quarter where – he should be the guy and Brunson and Hardaway and they, they just don't find him for like four possessions at a time. And, you know, I don't think we notice it because the offense keeps scoring, but there are just times when they don't look his way. And it's really, really strange. I mean, some of it has to be by design and because they're scoring, but it's just like, you know, it, it's, it's pretty enough. It, it's pretty nuts. Um, I think, anyhow. I, I think another thing is they, they need to get, I, mean, I don't think a lot of the Mavs, are anticipating just how fast he's coming around uh, screens too, because there's been a couple times where they'll go to pass to him coming off the screen, and it's like it's either late or it's kind of off a little bit. Like it's like they're they, they don't really know how to play with him yet. So I think yep. that'll get better with time. Yeah, yeah. Playing hard is a skill, and Redick uh, has stayed in the league for as long as he has because the man just runs like a banshee. It's it's crazy. Yeah, and some of the um, uh, well, I'll, I'll uh, be done after this, but I just want to say I think some of that too, like you know, was he been with the team for like a week or so sure. now? Uh, had basically one practice, but even I believe it was two of those turnovers were stepping out of bounds. Which I was talking to a friend who's a Pelicans fan, and uh, he's like, I think that maybe happened once his entire time with the team. So he thinks, you know, uh, he didn't see sure. it much, and I'm sure it's just Russ. But I think he'll be an important part of the team, especially, like, I think we all understand how frustrating it is when Luka just keeps getting guys open three, open three, open three. Brick leads to, you know, a fast break transition, easy score, and mm-hmm. how frustrating that can be. And I think, you know, even on one of those fast breaks, uh, Reddick ran all the way down the court, you know, at maybe like a half mile an hour, but he still tried. So that was, uh, you know, I, I hope he can be, the, you know, that guy that maybe gets uh, in a first round series to advance to series two. I know we didn't do it at the time, but, you know, maybe he has a shining moment like that Vince Carter moment, uh, you know, hitting a three or something. I think he could be, a, you know, flip a game possibly, even though I know it's a lot. No, no, that's like you need guys to do this. Like I, I was listening to a podcast a couple of weeks ago where someone made like the blasphemous statement that Corey Brewer didn't do much for the 2011 Mavs. And I was screaming into no one in my car when I'm like, does no one remember game two or was it game one against the Lakers where he just came out of nowhere when it looked like all was lost. Um, you, you just need that moment for guys who are, you know, fringe rotation players. So I, I, I like the take. I, there's, there's a lot of, of places for these Mavericks to go. Um, you know, taking back to my, my friend Jared's article on, on 538, there's still a lot of meat on the bone that the Mavericks have to get to. And, and there's just, the, it's, it's going to be fun. It'll be, it'll be wild to see. You know, Josh Bowe pointed out to me in our Slack recess, you know, the Mavericks could go eight and two over these next 10, but you know, the two losses are going to be like the world is ending. And he's just like, I'm like, Josh, I'm right here. You're not allowed to talk shit about me when I can read it. Like, I'm right. It's just, you know, it's just the way that I watch games. But, uh, you know, guys, this is fun. 
I've been uh, uh, sorry for my uh, audio snafu earlier. Um, you know, old people and iPhones. I really need a new iPhone. This thing is like, it's it's just starting to slow down. Um, anyhow, I'm going to run this probably as a podcast, though. We'll see if anybody listens. I will be doing another one of these after the game tonight because tomorrow is Saturday and... I don't know. Of, of course, I have like child soccer at 9 a.m., but I'll be tired for that instead of having to go to work and be tired. So that'll be fine. All right, guys, this has been fun. Appreciate you hanging out with me for part of the afternoon. Uh, this has been Kirk Henderson on Mavs Moneyball Live, and we'll talk to you in a few hours. Have a good day, guys.